0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you can see the text there on the screen. The book of Hebrews, if you're new to the Bible, it's almost at the end. So flick over there into the book of Hebrews, and we'll just look at three verses in chapter one. All right, we are there. Here's God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. this book was written 2000 years ago um, to um, a mainly Hebrew audience who were very familiar with the Old Testament. And if if you're interested in the the Old Testament and and what it means, the book of Hebrews is a wonderful place to go to to familiarize yourself with why the Old Testament is relevant. But it was also written in a time um, where Greek philosophy was very popular. And back then, like today, there were people who were, would call themselves agnostics. People who are not denying that there may be a God, but who say that maybe he um, is unknowable and he, we can't make any personal contact with him. And then still, even today, there are some skeptics who say that maybe there is no God and he doesn't speak. And what this book does in these first chapters is tells us straight away that God does speak. There may be the agnostic In our time, and perhaps in the time of the writer, where there were people who would say, maybe there is a God, but we can't know him because we can't get personal with him because he is an impersonal God. Maybe he just created everything, threw everything into existence, and then stood at a distance and then just let it all happen. And so there's no way to gain any personal contact with him because we can't know him because he has not revealed himself to us. We can know some things about him that he created the world. Because obviously, if there is a a building, it it assumes that there is a builder. If there's a painting, it assumes that there is a painter. If there's creation, of course, it assumes that there's a creator. But that's as far as we can go with knowing this God. He remains unknowable to us. And that's a position that many take today. Many people say that God does not speak and that we cannot know him because he does not reveal himself to us. And yet still, there are people who say that God speaks in every way possible. There are people who say that if I go into the mountains, then God will speak to me in the silence while I'm up there. Or if I sit beside the stream, maybe the water will make some noise and maybe I'll just know some things about God because of nature. As I see the sunrise, I'm sure that I hear God speaking to me. And then there are people who still say that perhaps in the culture, God is speaking or in the newspapers, God is speaking or through this person and that person, God is speaking. So there are people on extremes. Some people who say that, God does not speak. And then there are others who say God is speaking everywhere all the time through any medium. Even every religion speaks about God or God is speaking to us through every religion. There are some people who take that stance too. So there are two extremes. God remains silent and God is noisy and we can hear him everywhere all the time. And what this passage says for us straight away is that neither are the case. It tells us that God spoke, and I want you to see a contrast here. The author makes a contrast between how God used to speak at a different time and how God speaks now and this time. And so you'll see in verse 1, he gives the first time long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, and he spoke to them by the prophets. So he's saying, the timeframe was then, long ago, at many times, he spoke to the fathers, and he spoke to the fathers by the prophets. And that's how God would communicate in a time gone past. And he's saying, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And what's important to understand about this phrase, last Days or last times, you'll see it in the Bible, and uh, people will get alarmed and they'll think, "Oh, this means you know the rapture or whatever." And um, a lot of people think of those movies, the last times. What, what the last times refers to is a time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Anywhere in between those two times is called the last days or the last times. In other words, you, my friend, live in the last days. You live in the last time. And so God has spoken to who? To us by his son. You do not live in a time gone past. You do not live long ago when God did not speak by the son. You live in a time where he speaks by his son and not by his prophets as in the Old Testament. And here's the first thing I want you to take away this morning. Um, You live in a very privileged time. You live in a time where God has not sent an emissary. God has not sent an ambassador, but God himself has come and revealed himself. In the Old Testament, what would happen there is God would send an emissary, someone who would go on his behalf and speak to his people. Moses, you may may think of, Elijah, those two major prophets, um, one representing the law, one representing the prophets. Both of them were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And at these times, the people were still privileged because God in his great mercy would condescend. He would come down and actually talk to his creatures and he would do that through emissaries. And, you know, recently we've had um, the inauguration of um, King Charles the third and maybe not so much now, but back in the day, if, if a king sent an emissary to a land, the emissary was treated with so much respect because they represented the king. They, they, they brought the weight of this person with them. But for the king himself to come and be the emissary was a, a whole nother thing. It was a different thing altogether. For the king himself to come, there would be a parade, marches in the streets. There would be an entourage of police cars, of security guards, of, of everyone important to make sure that everything went smoothly. And this is what's happened for us. Long ago, God spoke by the prophets, by emissaries, by ambassadors. But in these last days, he himself has come. He himself has sent his own son to come and be with us. And this is an important point to remember. Um, I don't know if, if you remember in John 14, but there's a guy named Philip. And Philip asks, well, he requests something really interesting to Jesus. He says, show us the father. And Jesus in reply to him, and in reply to us, if we say, man, I just wish God would show us himself, Jesus says to Philip, believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. In other words, Philip, whatever I do, the Father is doing. Whatever I say, the Father is, the Father is saying. What, what, whatever um, characteristic I have, the, the Father has. He's saying to Philip, when you look at me, you should see the Father because I am his exact imprint of his nature. I'm the radiance of his glory. I am the the perfect representation of God. In the past, we had the prophets, which were were sketches of God. They could give us some pencil outlines, some silhouettes of what God would look like. But in these last times, God has not come as, as 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 a picture, as a outline, as a silhouette. He himself has stepped into his creation so that we can see him and we can see him in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is the one who shows us who God is. He's the one who tells us who God is. And through every part of his life, Jesus is prophetic. We can see it in his life, the way that he lived perfectly. We can see that God is perfect. We see it even in his death, that God is merciful. We see it even in his resurrection, that God is powerful. Uh, Again, on the cross, we see that God is just and that God has wrath. And so when we look at Jesus, we can see things about God that we can't see anywhere else. There is none like Jesus as a prophet. Jesus is is the final prophet. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Jesus is the complete prophet. And we shouldn't look at the Old Testament and disregard it and say, hey, this is not a book for us now because now we have Jesus. No, the the Old Testament was just incomplete. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't incorrect. It was just waiting for its culmination in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is this wonderful prophet revealed to his people. And I'll never forget this thing that I heard, um, which describes the way that God has revealed himself. And and, and it's like this, and you may have heard me say it before, but the Bible, the word of God, and especially as revealed in Jesus Christ, is God giving up his personal privacy. Now, God has a right to his privacy. God doesn't have to let you know him. God doesn't have to say anything to you. He could leave you in your sins and leave you condemned. God doesn't have to show you anything about him or any way to him. But in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word, what God has done is he's given up his personal privacy. He's forfeited his personal privacy, not so that his mate down the road could know him, but so that his rebellious, sinful creature could know him. That's a marvelous truth that God would be so merciful to give up his personal privacy so that you, dear friend, might get to know him personally in his word and especially through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a marvelous truth. And he never had to do that for you, but he does. So we hear here, unlike what the agnostics may say or the skeptics may say or the ultra-spiritualists may say, That God actually speaks, and he doesn't speak through everything and everywhere, and he doesn't remain silent. No, he speaks through the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and even in his words. We see God most revealed here because Jesus is the great prophet. Do you see how God addresses your ignorance? He addresses it in the most spectacular way, by himself coming to you. Now, we can know other people through proxy. Like if I wanted to know someone who um, I don't know, I could ask someone who knows them and they could give me some detailed information about them and I may know things about them, but I wouldn't know them personally. I could know um, what they like. I could know how how they like to have their tea in the morning. I could know um, what they prefer and what they do not prefer. I could know so much information about someone through a proxy, through someone else, through a medium. But if that person themselves comes to me, and says, hey, this is actually how I like my tea. This is what I prefer and what I do not prefer. This is actually who I am. Then I don't just know information about them. I get to know them personally. And that's what God has done in in a spectacular way through Jesus Christ. Emmanuel with us. God with us. So he has come in the flesh. Now, the author doesn't stop there just by saying God has spoken through his son. The author doesn't just stop there and say, This is the author. He goes on to describe who this author is. He's not just a prophet, but he's also a king and a priest. So we learn in in the first two verses that he is a prophet because he addresses our ignorance and he shows us about God, shows us who God is. And that's what a prophet does: speaks for God. But in verse 2, you'll see there that there is some description about who this prophet is. It says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also, uh, through whom also he created the world. Now for the Jewish reader, when they're reading this book, they have categories in their mind. There are categories of prophets, there are categories of kings, there are categories of priests. There are categories for basically you to fit in whatever category that you are in. You may fit into some categories at work that other people do not fit into. You may fit into some categories here at church that other people do not fit into. And we can distinguish you by what category you're in. And what the author does is he distinguishes Jesus by category, by saying that he is a creator. Through him, all things were created. And what this does for this Jewish reader is they go, okay, there is only one person in that category and one person only. And this person is God almighty. Only God creates and everyone else is in the, in the other category, which is created. So there is the creator category and the created category and God alone fits inside of this one. And what the author is saying is this prophet who has been revealed to you, this prophet who has come to speak to you is none other than the creator himself. So God himself has come to be the prophet. God himself, the one who created all things, the one who governs all things is the one who came in the flesh as the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, uh, whom, he, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So not only is he, is he the king in the sense that he's created all things, but this idea of being the heir, the heir to um, everything that, that is, means that, Whatever God owns, whatever the father has, whatever the father possesses, whatever he is king of, so the son is the king of. And we we know that in human terms, when we think of an heir, everything that belongs to to me belongs to my heir. Everything will be passed on to them. Everything that is mine is theirs. And so what the author is saying here is that everything that is God's is Jesus Christ. So not only does he create everything, but because he's created everything, of course, everything belongs to him. So the prophet who has come is the same prophet who created the people who he's coming to. The prophet who has come is the same prophet that all of these people belong to. He owns the people who he has come to see. He created the people who he has come to see. And there is a great condescension there that the creator would step down into his creation and come and reveal himself to his sinful creatures. So we see that he is the king. He owns everything, and he's created everything. But look further with me in verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We see another aspect of his kingship. Not only does he bring every single atom, every molecule, every particle into existence, but he owns it. And not only does he stop there, but without him, none of it would hold together. Even right now, everything in this room is being held together by God's will. Even the chairs we're sitting on, the reason that they're still there and they haven't evaporated or disappeared is because Jesus is upholding the chair that is upholding you. Jesus is upholding everything in this room right now. And here is a, a, a magnificent aspect of how wonderful and merciful God is. And at the same time, how dreadful and dark and grim sinners is. Now, it's one thing for us to be totally separate from God and then sin against Him. It's another thing for God to uphold every single fiber in your body, from from your skin to your muscles to the blood in your body. He upholds all of it, the the brain. He upholds everything. Everything about you is being held together by God, and unless He held it together, you would not be here. And then we see how dreadful sin is that the only way it's possible for us to sin is by God being merciful to us and holding us together. That we would go and, and, and treat God in such a way when at the same time, the only way we can do so is because he is holding us and everything about us together. Now, I hope you see that sin is a terrible thing. It's not that we're just sinning against this far-off king. We're sinning against a king who is holding us together. It would not be possible for us to slap God in the face, as it were, if he was not holding us in his lap. And so we, uh, when we think about sin, we ought to think of it as a very terrible thing, that we would use this gift of life and him holding us together against him. <clears throat> So we see that he is the, the king. It is the king who's holding you together, who created you, who owns you, who has come to speak for God, and to reveal God to you. Now, there is one other famous office, and in uh, theology you'll you'll hear these offices about Jesus Christ, and perhaps in the children's catechism you'll remember them, but there is the, the prophet, the king, and then the last one, which we'll speak about, is the priest. So we've seen Jesus here as the prophet who addresses our ignorance. We've seen Jesus as the king who holds us together, but not only does he just hold us together, he is a king who can protect us and guard us and even defeat all of our enemies, including the final enemy, which is death. We saw that in the resurrection. So Jesus is this prophet and this king, but not only that, he is a priest. Look with me again as we look at verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe. By the word of his power. After making purifications, purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, a priest, as you know in the old testament, is a person who was supposed to stand between the people and God. And the priest had a few jobs. And the most important thing that they did was they made purification for sins. Or, in other words, they gave a sacrifice to atone for the sins that you have committed, because uh, we should understand that sin requires death. And if you have sinned, it should be you who is judged with death. And so the Old Testament is just a constant reminder, sacrifice after sacrifice, that what sin requires is death. And, and the wages of sin is death. And so day after day after day, this, the, the priest would offer sacrifices for the people because the people were sinning over and over again and they, they was just sinning by nature. And so what they would have to do is offer sacrifice because that, the, the sin that they committed requires death. And Jesus, as the high priest, he does the same thing. But unlike the priests who do it over and over and over again, he does it once, once for all, as the book of Hebrews will tell us later on. So Jesus is not only the prophet who was revealed to us, but the same prophet who was revealed to us is the king. And not only is he the king, but he's the same priest who has come to make purifications for sins. And it's not just that he's the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, the priest wasn't good enough. And also the sacrifice wasn't good enough. The the blood of bulls and goats will, will never atone for the sins of a person made in the image of God. And so Christ himself as truly man had to be the sacrifice for the sins of his people. But this is just what really got me this week as I was thinking about it. It's not just any priest who has come. It's not just any sacrifice that is made. It is the, the one who is the exact imprint of the nature of God. It is the one who is the radiance of the glory of God. The one who stands apart from every other prophet. He's he's the one who on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was him who was glowing. It wasn't Moses or Elijah. It was just him. He stands totally apart from everyone else. It was this prophet who came to die for me. It was God himself come in the flesh to die for the sinner who was given as a sacrifice. Not only was it this prophet, but it was the king that just blows my mind that the only way that the cross could stand there is that Jesus was holding the metal and the wood together. He was upholding everything, even the ground that the, that the wood was in. All of it was held together because of him. And at any moment he could, everything's gone. And so it was this prophet and this King who became the priest and who came, became the sacrifice for sinners. And it's good that he did. Because if it was anyone else, the job would not be finished. If it was anyone, anyone else, there would be no one sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If it was anyone else other than Jesus, they would have to do it again. Every day, over and over again. And still the job would not be done for eternities and eternities. But because it was the prophet, the great and perfect prophet, the one who was God himself, because it was the king the one who created and owns and upholds everything, because it was him who makes purifications for sins, because it was him who gave his life as a ransom for many. We see the glorious words there in verse 3. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So because it was this one and none other, because it was this Jesus who does this work, then people surely are saved. The job has already been finished and the job is done. And all that is left for us to do is to receive Jesus as this great priest and prophet and king. Oh, how, how rich is the Christian life when we remember who our king is? How, how, how much anxiety is taken from us when we remember that it is he who owns and created and who upholds everything? How, how sure do we feel of our salvation when we remember that it is Jesus Christ who was the sacrifice? Who was the priest who offered himself as a sacrifice and as a ransom? How, How much more do we know God because we can know him? Friend, I hope you see when Christ speaks, God speaks. And God has spoken to us today in these last days in which you live. And he's done it by his son, who's not just anyone, but he is the perfect prophet. He is the great king and the high priest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for those glorious three verses. And uh, Lord, we know that our minds are, are limited in understanding those huge things, but would you help us now to look upon your word and to know you more as we look at Jesus Christ? Lord, though our understanding will fail, uh, Lord, would you touch our affections and help us, Lord, to at least apprehend some of these glorious things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have dealt with human ignorance by sending the prophets and finally by coming yourself. We thank you that as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and understand that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, that we see the Father when we look to Jesus. So help us, Lord, to believe that. Lord, also, we thank you that he is a wonderful king, and our enemies are great. Our enemies will crush us, our enemies will destroy us, and our enemies have had their way with us. Sin has run rampant in our lives, but we thank you that the one who is called the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, is able to defeat even sin and even the death that comes with it. And Lord, also, we thank you. For your graciousness and your mercy as we think about our high priest. Thank you, Lord, that we can be comforted in his work, in his completed work, uh, because he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, Lord, thank you that his work is finished and that his sacrifice was once for all, never to be done again. Thank you for such a perfect priest, for such a perfect sacrifice. Help each person here, Lord to lean on Jesus Christ, and to hear from, from you as they hear from him. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.